Goldfinger was box office gold. This is part two. We're going to take a look at unique elements in Goldfinger. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzato. At SpyMovieNavigator.com, the worldwide community of spy movie fans. Spy movie podcasts, videos, discussions, and more. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and Instagram too. And send us a question if you have a suggestion through Facebook or from our website with the big red button on the right that says, send us a voicemail. We may use it on the show. And don't forget, if you send us a voicemail between March 1st and March 22nd, 2020, you'll be automatically entered into our DB5 keyring giveaway that we're holding to commemorate our Goldfinger podcasts. Check out our website, spymovienavigator.com, for more details. So when we left Podcast One, Bond had been captured. He had the car chase and all the gadgets and everything, and Bond was, has been captured. And so we're going to start Part Two, where Bond's laying on a table. You are looking at an industrial laser which emits an extraordinary light not to be found in nature. It can project a spot on the moon. Now this is an absolutely wonderful scene, and the set design, this is a great Ken Adams set design that joins other spectacular sets in Goldfinger. Bond finds himself strapped to that table. Goldfinger has a laser beam directed at the base of the table, and it's guided to rise up between his legs, into his crotch. And eventually kill him. Eventually kill him. So the laser is going to be used as a weapon. In the book by Fleming, it was a table saw. And when they were filming this, of course, the laser was a post-production add-in. They weren't really using a laser. Now, for one reason is the laser beam would actually be invisible. So you wouldn't see that red beam if it really was a laser. So to, in, to get the important visual of the metal being cut by the laser, they had one of the production staff underneath the table using a blowtorch that was yeah. cutting through the metal. And Sean Connery was pretty nervous about that. Yeah, I think the nervousness on his face was genuine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, you're going to notice again, Goldfinger is wearing something gold. The lapels of his jacket are gold. And I love that he reveals the three things he loves about gold. All my life I've been in love with its color, its brilliance, its divine heaviness. I love the way he says that. Because he's just like, ah. So confident in what he's doing. His hands are in his pocket. He's cool. And he says that to Bond. It's like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And then, of course, this is the famous scene with the dialogue people know all over the world. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is one, another one of these scenes where just shoot him. But no, you've got to have this elaborate scheme to try to, to try to burn them up, you know, or whatever. And it burns into people's memories, though. That yeah, one of the no best. No pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended, <laughs> right? We burn into people's memories that this is one of the best scenes from any Bond movie, really, even in any spy movie. It is. I mean, this is a great scene. Everybody who loves anything about spy movies knows this scene, and they know those words. That's the dialogue that everybody all over the world knows. It's just, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. That's beautiful. It is. So now let's actually give a little quick history lesson here about this laser thing. Yeah. Right? Because we mentioned that there was a table saw in the book, but it was a laser in the movie. The book was published in... 1959. 1959, March 23rd, 1959. While the laser was not invented until 1960. So you're not going to see Fleming writing about the laser in 1959 in his book. Right, because Theodore Maiman hadn't demonstrated one yeah. yet. The first working laser was built May 16th, 1960. 
by the guy you just mentioned, Maimon. Yep. And the term laser really is an acronym. Oh, yeah. For light amplification. I always have a problem with this. By stimulated emission of radiation. Of course. That's what it means. Now, the interesting thing is it probably shouldn't be amplification. It should probably be oscillation, but that would give you the acronym loser. But actually, <laughs> it, it really is an oscillation, not just an amplification of the light, but that's a different issue. Yeah. So, so again, I, I think in production is clever. And integrating a real life happening here, the invention of the laser into this film that was being shot in 1963 for release in 1964. And at this time, this was a really high tech gadget in Goldfinger. I mean, a laser. And most people, people don't didn't even know what the heck this was. Yeah. And so their introduction to the laser is this this really large thing yeah. that's going to shoot this this beam at this table. And actually, the first laser was really small. Yeah. Yeah, and we can't think of another film using a laser before Goldfinger. And so, again, another first for Ian Productions. Yep. Now, we've we've actually put a video together on our site that looks at the use of the laser beam concept in spy movies and movies in general, starting in 1951. With the day the Earth stood still. Yeah, yeah. but the laser hadn't been invented Gort, yet. It wasn't a laser. It was kind of like a death ray. You know, they had yeah. a lot of death rays in spy yeah. mo- in in, uh, in science fiction movies right. and stuff. But Gort's thing in the, the day the Earth still, it looks like a laser. And well, it looks like what Hollywood pr- projects a laser to be. Because, again, the yeah. laser's going to be invisible if it can't yeah. dilute it somehow. And it wasn't invented it. for another nine years after that movie was Yeah, right. absolutely. So, so our video cool. goes through that. and then It's a fun video. And then we take you through the video, the spy movies where lasers are used throughout time, and we kind of compare and contrast and the different uses for lasers in these movies. Yeah. Let's go ahead and meet, meet the Pussy Galore. Oh, that sounds like a good thing. To I do. think I hear a knock at the door. <laughs> it's Pussy Galore. So Bond doesn't actually get killed on the laser table. He talks his way out of it because he knows about Operation Grand Slam. And Goldfinger thinks, eh, you're worth more than alive than dead to me. So unbeknownst to us, he gets shot with a tranquilizer gun. And when he wakes up, he finds himself on a plane. And this is where Bond first meets Pussy Galore. His vision is blurry as he focuses on the face of a woman. You. My name is Pussy Galore. I must be dreaming. I love that line. <laughs> Another one of the great famous lines from Goldfinger, right? I must be dreaming. Ah, Pussy Galore, played by Honor Blackman, who's terrific, is one of the best Bond girls in the films. She's sexy and strong. And this little scene we just we just heard just reinforces how wealthy Goldfinger really is. This Lockheed Jetstar, which is the plane he wakes up on, which is Goldfinger's private plane, was produced in the early 1960s to the 70s. And in 1972, this model was worth $2.8 million. So in the 64, when this film was probably, when this film was shot, it was probably worth about a million dollars or more in 1964 money. That's a lot of money. One million dollars. <laughs> One million dollars. Uh, and Goldfinger, 
He's got a private pilot, too. Of course he would. And he's got the attendant on board because, you know, he, uh, this is not a commercial flight. Goldfinger flew ahead on his own plane, and here he's got his, uh, his private plane with Pussy Galore as the pilot and a, an attendant and Bonds there kind of waking up. Yeah, it looks cool. like this this gold passion of him has paid off pretty well so far, huh? Yeah, not bad. Bond orders are martini here, shaken, not stirred. Now, this is the only time that Sean Connery actually, as Bond, actually orders one of these in an Eon Productions Bond film. Yeah. Where he says, shaken, not stirred. Yeah. And he, he tries to get Pussy to respond to his quips about Operation Grand Slam and everything. She's, she's tough. She's not falling for any of that stuff, and she's not falling for any of his advances. Now, in the book... Yeah, in the in the book, she's she's a lesbian. Yeah, right. And in the film, it comes off that she seems to be disinterested in men. She says she's immune to his his charms. Yeah, but it's not really perfectly clear. It's not perfectly clear. And this is a great uh, again a conversation in lots of Bond films from this point forward is the whole sexism stuff and racism stuff and that kind of thing. And we mentioned before in an earlier podcast, I read this book, His World Never Dies: The Evolution of James Bond by David Holcomb. And in that, he talks about this very scene as well. But he talks about a lot of scenes like this. So the book is full of all of these references to sexism and racism and how Bond character has evolved through the movies. It's a really good book. I would take a look at it. It's available on Amazon.com. It's like 17 bucks or whatever. It's really a good book. It's a, it's a good read. But a lot of these things you're going to see when you're watching these films, he talks about in this book. Great stuff. So the plane lands, and they bring Bond to Oryx Stud Farm in Kentucky, which is in the USA. And Goldfinger reveals his plan to target Fort Knox to the American mobsters in attendance. Each of them ponied up a million dollars in gold to participate in the plan. Now, this is another one where Ken Adam just totally outdoes himself with this set. I mean, this set is just absolutely fabulous. It is. I mean, you've got that richly wooded and paneled room, yeah. the revolving pool table that reveals a control panel that brings down the shutters. It projects a map of Fort Knox and re, uh, retracts the floor to reveal that, I love the that 3, 3D map of Fort Knox and the surrounding yeah. area. It's gorgeous. It's one of our favorite James Bond sets. As you watch it, notice the detail, the richness, and wealth. the wealth in wealth. this room. Our only real gripe about this is the mobsters are made to look amateurish and almost comical, which really wouldn't reflect the violent and unforgiving nature of these mobsters in the U.S. I mean, these are supposed to be the heads of the mobs. I mean, they're not going to be these go these goofballs. They're really more like Goldfinger than unlike Goldfinger. Yeah, I, I think in, in real life had Goldfinger pulled a little con like this, the American mobsters would be all over him and Goldfinger would never make it to Fort Knox. Yeah, I, I don't think, I think that's probably right. <laughs> He'd be going, oops, that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So now in this scene, this is the scene where, you know, Mr. Solo says he wants out of the deal and Goldfinger makes it look like, you know, that's fine. He's going to excuse himself to take care of Mr. Solo and load his bricks of gold into the Lincoln so that a job can drive Mr. Solo to the airport. Now we know what really happens here, but we were thinking an ounce of gold was about $35 in 1964. So if you have a, if you have a million dollars worth of gold here, 
how much would that actually weigh? And so we did the math on of this Of course, thing. we calculated this yeah, out. Okay, I'm a geek, <laughs> right? I got nothing better to do. And it would be about 1,700 pounds or 771 kilograms back then, which really leads yeah. us to the question, is this going to be check luggage or carry-on? Yeah. <laughs> How's he going to get this on the plane? Yeah. But again, our willing suspension of disbelief is like, okay. <sighs> yeah, no, no problem. In the meantime, Goldfinger's henchmen gassed the rest of the mob guys, killing them, so he gets to keep their gold as well. Yeah. He's a ruthless bastard, isn't he? Again, you'll, you'll notice Goldfinger is wearing a gold vest in this particular scene because he loves only gold. Yeah, he loves gold, but he sure doesn't seem to like people because this scene really reveals how unfazed he is with he and his organization with killing people, right? They don't I mean, care. He realizes there's going to be four about... 41,000 troops protecting Fort Knox. Yeah, it's weird because later when he and Goldfinger are talking, drinking a mint julep, uh, he, the 60,000 number comes up. But neither 41,000 or 60,000 uh, affects Goldfinger. He doesn't give a damn if he kills them all. He just, he just loves his gold. He wants his gold. Absolutely. He wants our gold. He wants the U.S. gold. He wants, well, we're going to see what he does. Right? We're going to see what he does with the gold. Yeah. When Oddjob leaves with Mr. Solo, he's supposedly driving him to the airport somewhere in Kentucky in the United States. Bond, in the meantime, he had slipped that homing device into Mr. Solo's pocket with a piece of paper that warned of the attack on Fort Knox. He assumed that Mr. Solo would be grabbed by the authorities thinking they were getting Bond. And time really, though, ends up being short for Mr. Solo, and the message never gets delivered. Right. Now, it's a critical scene for for several reasons. First... We see how ruthless Goldfinger is. Yeah. We see that Bond's message will not get through to the authorities because the homing device will cease to work once it gets crushed, along with Mr. Solo and the gold. Then we see Oddjob as a direct follower of orders, shooting Mr. Solo on orders and crushing him in the Lincoln. Yeah, he has no problem with that. Oddjob's happy to kill for Goldfinger. He doesn't care. So now one nice touch in the Felix and Simmons scene, when Felix Leiter and Simmons are trying to follow Bond from using that homing device. Yeah, they're actually right. following the, yeah. the, the Lincoln with Oddjob and Solo. Yeah, and there's yeah. that screen they have in the car with the map on it. Yeah. Now, the scenes were actually filmed in Miami. That We, we mentioned that before, but the maps on the locator car are actually from Kentucky. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah, so and what I love about that is that would be a really easy thing to miss, and almost nobody's going to catch that. But for director Guy Hamilton and his crew, they weren't going to miss it. Top notch. Absolutely top notch. So... We've been to all of the scenes used in this drive where Oddjob's trying to get him to the Miami Iron and Metal Works. The Miami Iron and Metal Works is actually still in production today. We've got a video on our website and on YouTube available that allow you to actually see what it looks like today and how it looked in the movie. Yeah, it's a cool little video. you got a split screen of the crane crushing the, bringing up the Lincoln and the crane, real-life crane now, what it's really doing, in, in, and you can see how similar it is. Really, it's it's cool. Take a look at it. It's like a four-minute video. Fun. So while Odd Job's on his mission to take care of Mr. Solo, Bond and Goldfinger are sipping mint juleps on the porch. And this is where Bond finds the real details of Operation Grand Slam. It's a very comfortable scene. Bond is not in immediate danger. Bond finally learns the full plans of the Fort Knox plan. The setting's very idyllic on Goldfinger's stud farm. There's a breeze blowing. Beautiful sunshine and lighting, and both Goldfinger and Bond seem to be enjoying their mint julep. Yeah. Now, the mint julep, I mean, does Bond know everything? I mean, 
It, it looks like he does, right? The, the and what ju- would a Brit know about? Yeah, mint <laughs> julep was invented in the southern United States in the 1700s. <laughs> when is, when he's asked if he wants a mint julep, Bond says, "Yes, sour mash, but not too sweet." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this guy's a how world, does he know that? This guy's a worldly spy. I feel. Uh, I mean, Felix Leiter and Simmons are uh, looking from behind a fence with binoculars thinking, man, this guy's got it made. But, I mean, there it is. The the, the whole mint julep thing, I think it's just like, how amazing is this guy? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> now, here he's learning Goldfinger's plan to nuke the gold and make it so that you can't use it for a number of years. Yeah, instead of removing the yeah, gold. Yeah, instead of removing the gold. Yeah. Now, in the book... He actually does plan to remove the gold yes. and steal the gold. And I think this is this is a better idea. No, oh, absolutely. Because as Bond points out, it would take you, I don't know, how many trucks and whatever, the hours and hours to get the gold out of there, and the Army would be all over you. I think this is a better idea. You nuke it, and you say, hey, you can't use it. Yeah, but I've got my gold. Well, and if but, you think about the conversation we just had about the weight of the gold, yeah, I mean, yeah, right. How and, much stuff would you have to move? They have to move all of that out of there. Yeah, and but you know, like Bond says, hey, oh wow, that makes the gold unusable for like fifty-seven years. And Goldfinger says fifty-eight years to be precise, or something like that, uh, to be exact. It's it's cool, but I mean, this is a brilliantly written scene, very tightly written scene, and the exchange between Goldfinger and Bond is just perfect here. Yeah, absolutely, and again. Goldfinger's got on that gold vest in this scene because yes. he's always wearing something gold. He loves only gold. Yeah. Now, supposedly, this was set at Goldfinger's stud farm in Kentucky, but the scene was really shot at Pinewood Studios in London. We move to the attack on Fort Knox and listen to the music. It's John Barry music through this whole scene, and it can't be any better. Listen to it. It's so suspenseful, powerful. It's perfectly matched to what's unfolding on the screen. While there were some exterior shots taken in Kentucky, like the aerial shots, there were also some ground shots taken. Some of the soldier scenes, it is reported, were filmed in Kentucky. In a previous podcast on Goldfinger filming locations in Miami, Florida, Tom and I suggested there were no shots taken in Kentucky. Oops. Oops. We were wrong. An author of several James Bond books gave us a call and corrected us. That was cool. So there you go. We stand corrected. Uh, Still, I don't think I'd try getting close to Fort Knox for a film location visit. (laughs) Now, we've since read in an article that discussed how they were told they could fly over if they were no lower than 3,000 feet. And Guy Hamilton, the director, decided that's not going to work. So they flew at 500 feet in the U.S. <laughs> military. They weren't really happy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So now the soldiers in this also were moved to different parts of the grounds for the shots because they, you know, they, they knocked these guys out by passing over at different parts of the, of the grounds. But they just kept the same the same soldiers moving around, yeah. um, instead of having that many that extras clever. on it. And so it was the same set of soldiers falling falling down. And in Kentucky. And in Kentucky, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Now, one nice touch in this scene is there's a sign that says "Welcome to Fort Knox, General Russian." This was the tip of the hat to Colonel Charles Russian, who helped get the permission to film there. I'm sure he liked his promotion. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes from colonel to general. 
He also did the work on Thunderball in From Russia with Love. Yeah. So uh, on the assault on Fort Knox here, the planes are flying over. They release the gases. Of course, hundreds of people are falling over in the scene instantly. Now, you remember in, in, when he got the mob bosses, it took a little while to go to, to die. But, you know, hey, maybe they use more potent gas here or you just have to have a willing suspension of disbelief. Movie magic, Dan. Yeah. It, I, regardless, it's a classic scene. It, and it kind of foreshadows, uh, Tom, don't you think, the, the unleashing of a deadly virus in the Honor Majesty's Secret yeah. Service? Kind of a Blofeldish kind of plan. Yeah, the Blofeld kind of thing. and Or the deadly virus that's going to be unleashed in Mission Impossible. The too. Chimera virus. Yeah. And we'll see similar themes in other spy movies. Because, as we know, one influences another. And real-world stuff influences what happens in spy movies. And that's what we're talking about all the time. They always seem to get a little intertwined. Yeah. Going home now. Out. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. We've now moved inside Fort Knox from the aerial assault outside, and we get one of the most classic battles in the movie. It's Odd Job versus Bond. It really is a spy movie classic here. It's a captivating scene as these guys are fighting. The timer's ticking down on the device, although maybe a little slowly. And right? Bond is handcuffed to the nuclear device. Across. And Bond is handcuffed. But Oddjob and Bond and fight fight this thing out. Oddjob here, it's kind of interesting because he knows he's going to die with Bond. Right? He's got to know what's going on here, right? So he makes no attempt to disarm the device. He's just going to let that thing, the timer, keep clicking down. Well, when the other guy was trying to, the guy who locked, bond onto the device he's he realizes hey, hey we're gonna get trapped and he tries to get out and i job stops him i job takes and yeah. kills him yeah so you you, so, you really gotta so give i job like, props for this right yeah. i mean his dedication to goldfinger is totally uh, yeah waving wavering it's it's 100 yeah now the best part about this though is that this the hat the weapon hat that i job uses the thing served him so well he's used it to take out people but it ends up being his downfall here. He throws it up on, and he misses. The electrical wires are severed, and you know they fall sparking to the to the ground. Really, I love the way that the, that thing comes down as it's as it's sparking. And we'll see. You know, Bond retrieves the hat, hurls it at a hot job, misses, and it sticks in between the metal uh, vertical bars protecting the gold. Odd job goes to get it. Bond slides on the floor, gets the wires that are sparking, and holds him against the metal bars, and Odd Job is electrocuted. Yeah. Now, in reality, which is why we're setting up this scene, it was reported that Harold Sakata, who played Odd Job, was badly burned in real life while filming this scene. He held on to the hat through his pain until Guy, Guy Hamilton said, Hey, cut, stop. And it was reported that Sean Connery, I think, also injured his back here during the filming of the sequence. So, so it was a really cool fight scene, yeah. but not without some pain. Yeah. So eventually Felix Leiter and the U.S. team get in the Fort Knox, of course, because the nerve gas was not really the nerve gas. It was fake because you know, Bond got to Pussy Galore, and she changed it. But Goldfinger escapes. And he removes his gold overcoat to reveal an American service uniform. Wait, 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 wait. 
What? That was not a gold overcoat. Oh, it's, that's gold. A, it's a gold that, overcoat. That scene, when I watch that scene, that's the first scene in the movie that Goldfinger does not appear no, to be wearing anything no, no. gold. It, it's gold. It, 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 to me, it looks gold. All right. To me, it looks brown. Yeah. Well, let's well, let's disagree on that right, because well, well, here, he yeah. has gold later. Yeah. On. Well, brown is a derivative of gold then. Okay. So there. Uh, I'm, so, not, I'm, not, I'm not buying that. But <laughs> in a minute, we're going to see some gold. So, okay, whatever. All right. All right. So anyway, he takes his gold coat off brown <laughs> and he's got an american service uniform on and yeah it's got gold buttons okay so he's wearing gold but you don't see it at the beginning because it's a yeah, brown well, coat. he's got a, he's got a gold coat on yeah and then he's carrying a gold gun so does this make him the first man with a golden gun <laughs> i think so i mean he's carrying a golden gun come on this is it yeah now I, right. lo I love too how uh, when when bond fumbles to you know he fumbles to disarm that device device and right when there's 007 on the thing the cia agent disarms it yeah bond couldn't figure it out yeah he couldn't figure out how to do it yeah and somebody comes in and disarms it with 007 ticks left on it yeah now supposedly it was going to stop at 003, but the director thought 007 would be more impactful. But they thought about that and made that decision to stop after they were done with Sean Connery. So they did it afterwards and showed the, the device at seven seconds. So they shot a close-up of this of the counter, but they then show the clip where Bond says, three more ticks and Mr. Goldfinger would have yeah. hit the jackpot. Yeah, they didn't change that. And the other thing that I always thought was curious there was the guy who, handcuffed him to the device he was going to go try to disarm the device and that's when odd job stopped him and killed him bond can't figure out how to, <laughs> how to undo disarm it. the device right but this guy who locked him there with the handcuffs uh, could so that was always a little odd but yeah. hey they saved the day it's movie magic then. 007 clicks on the clock and the bomb doesn't go off so we're thinking hey everything's fine life is good yeah As we've seen in many Bond movies to come, the ending is not always the ending. Bond gets surprised at times, like by Knickknack in The Man with the Golden Gun, or by Teehee in Live and Let Die, and many more. So Bond, we're done. He's leaving to go to Washington. He ascends the stairway leading to the plane, walks right past the cockpit, which seems open, because you can see the light shining in the cockpit windows. Yeah. And he boards the plane, and he doesn't notice the pilot. Yeah, he's going to Washington, D.C. because the president wants to thank him for yeah. you know, saving the world, basically. So Bond, who always seems to be so observant, <laughs> doesn't look at the Trained pilot. to be observant. Yeah, absolutely. Goldfinger emerges from the rear of the plane with the golden gun in his hand. Bond warns him how dangerous it is to fire a gun in a pressurized aircraft, which he had said to Pussy Galore earlier in the movie. And he jumps up, and he's going to wrestle with Goldfinger, and a shot goes off and blows out a window. And Goldfinger, who, like me, is a rather portly man, uh, goes flying through the aircraft. I wouldn't have fit. And gets sucked out the window, which it, seems it, it very like a, large for a smaller plane. Yeah, it seemed like a pretty big window yeah, for it was, a small it plane. didn't but, seem like it worked there, but yeah. it did. Now, in, in the book, Ajab gets sucked out of the window, and Goldfinger is just beaten by Bond. So there's a little bit difference between the book and the movie here with the way this part goes. And Pussy and Bond parachute to safety as the plane goes down. Yeah. The helicopters are looking for them. Pussy tries to signal them, and Bond is thinking, this is no time to be rescued. 
Yeah. And he covers him with the parachute, and the fun begins. Hey, come on. Goldfinger's dead. Fort Knox gold is safe. Pussy now, now likes men, or at least Bond. At least Bond. <laughs> and Bond is happy. So, Would we call this a happy, happy ending, ending for, for everybody, all? right? <laughs> what, the, what the heck? Oh. Now, the, one, one interesting fun fact here is, of all of the EN production James Bond 007 films starring Sean Connery, this is the only one where he and his Bond girl end up on land. Yeah. They're not on good. some boat or raft in the water. In Dr. No, he's with Honey Rider on a watercraft escaping Dr. No's exploding complex when Felix comes and rescues him from another craft. In From Russia with Love, he and Tanya are on the gondola in the Venice Canals. Yeah. In Thunderball, Bond and Domino are on a small yellow inflatable watercraft drop from a plane as they wait because you remember that skyhook that comes yes. to swoop them up. And then in You Only Live Twice, Bond and Kissy Suzuki are on a small inflatable yellow watercraft dropped by a plane, and they're rescued as a submarine surfaces right below them, and the watercraft rests right on the outer deck of the yeah, sub. Convenient. And lastly, Diamonds Are Forever. Bond and Tiffany Case are aboard a ship as Kid and Wint try one more time to get Bond. Ah, Goldfinger is one of our favorite Is it Kid time. and Wint or is it Wint and Kid? I thought it was Wint and Kid. I think it's Kid and Wint. It could be Wint and Kid. I think it's Wint and Kid. Wait a minute. It's Wint and Kid, not Kid and Wint. Goldfinger is one of our favorite Bond movies ever. Absolutely. This wraps up our look into Goldfinger. Look for additional podcasts from Dan and Tom at spymovienavigator.com. And be sure to check out our on-location videos to filming sites at spymovienavigator.com and on our YouTube channel. There are some fun videos there, like the Mission Impossible vault scene and where that came from as we dive into previous movies like Rafifi and Top Copy, or our on-location videos of our trip to Goldfinger sites in Miami and the License to Kill sites in the Florida Keys. It's fun stuff. Send us your ideas, and we'll get out there and do some more fun stuff. Thanks for joining us today. This is Dan Silvestri and Tom Pizzato from SpyMovieNavigator.com, the worldwide community of spy movie fans, spy movie podcasts, videos, discussions, and more. Hey, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and send us a question or suggestion for a podcast via Facebook or from our website. Click that big red button on the right that says, send us a voicemail, and we may use it on our show. <laughs>